1: Hi, this is Sarah, your host of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, where we talk with inspiring guests who have challenged limiting labels and beliefs in their own lives to pursue and accomplish personal and professional goals. We have two guests today. They are Miriam Morgan and Raymond Kent of Red Dragon Arts. They share a passion for working with arts organizations to help them focus on their core mission, align their efforts, and deepen community connection. Sounds pretty big, but they actually have very specific stories that got them there. Um, I was introduced to Ray and Miriam through a friend and creative colleague, Ken Faye, and many of you know Ken, you either have worked with him, seen him on our team site, heard his podcast interviews, um, but he is a trusted friend and colleague because he knows He knows well enough, like, ooh, those are good connections. So anyway, we all hopped on a call um, because Ken thought it would be a good idea for us. We share the nonprofit kind of link. And that chat made it clear that both Ray and Miriam would be great guests to have. So here we are on the No Labels No Limits podcast this week. Um, But before I bring them in, let me just share a little bit about their backgrounds. This is really small compared to what we could say. But Miriam is the president and CEO of Red Dragon Arts Management and Operations Consulting. She's passionate about supporting arts and culture organizations and venues whose mission is to create authentic, whose mission is to authentically serve their communities. She has worked with nonprofits and performing arts industries, most recently serving as the CEO of a large arts and culture organization. Miriam's background also includes 25 years in technical theater, stage production, and event experience. Whee, baby. That's a lot of experience. And theatrical lighting design. So as I sit here on my Zoom, I'm thinking, hmm. I'm sure she could give me tips, but she maintains a personal philosophy that the intersection of creativity, design, social psychology, innovation, curated experiences, authenticity, and curiosity bring transformation. So there's a philosophy to hang your hat on. Raymond Kent Ray is a third generation performing arts professional with multiple awards and design to his credit. Um, Ray's provided guidance to his clients at an international level having worked with top tier performing arts organizations small community clients and everything in between on that continuum. He shares his passion and knowledge as a frequent presenter at national international trade organization is a frequent author and contributor to multiple trade journals and has an and he's also authored two books on arts related topics and serves on boards of nonprofits. But in addition to that, as if that weren't enough, he's been an educator in the arts at the university and college levels and frequently guest lectures on a variety of topics. He has a passion for helping his clients see a pathway to success and is not afraid to roll up his sleeves and get into the weeds to make that happen. We'll see how the show goes. There's a particular story. I'm going to see if I can get ready to reshare it that demonstrates that. But having a career's worth of experience in the arts, both Ray and Miriam understand the challenges of running an arts organizations, and particularly in today's economic and social climate. And I am going to talk, ask them to talk more about that with us today, because there are unique things that um, organizations are facing that they haven't had to face in this way in the past. So with that, let me officially welcome Miriam Morgan. And Raymond Kent. How are you guys?
2: Great, thank you for having us.
1: Yeah, thanks very much. Well, my pleasure. I just remember laughing a lot when we first met. So, but I want to ask you each to first share a bit about your own backgrounds and how you ended up where you are today. So, not a whole biography, but kind of Mm -hmm. like the highlights and some notable things from that. And Miriam, I'll just ask you to start because you're to my furthest left.
2: (laughs) Sure. Um. So, uh, I came to the position that I'm in in a rather circuitous, um, way. I um I was a single mother of three, um, and you know was making my way on my own, and began through technical production and design. Theatrical production is my background. I'm a theatrical lighting designer by trade, um, and I've had the good fortune of working my way up through. Um, the arts and culture world, um, most recently working as the chief operating officer for a large arts and culture nonprofit. So um, I've gotten there in a roundabout way and my children were fortunate enough to be able to grow up backstage learning all about backstage just because their mom was back there doing it. So
1: (laughs) thanks. And Ray, what about you?
3: Uh, well, as you had mentioned, I'm a third-generation theater professional. Um, like Miriam's children, I, too, grew up in the theater uh, doing homework in the aisles um, during tech productions and and, uh, and things like that. I was on stage, backstage, uh, any and every way uh, between. Um, ultimately, wound up getting pulled back into theater as a career choice. Um, not really expecting to. I originally went to college to go be an Army surgeon, but life has its way, and I wound up back in the arts and um, have wound up uh, through the good fortune of making uh, a lot of great connections. And uh, here I am today, you know, lead, leading a group of individuals across multiple specialties um, for a, a major international arts design organization. Uh, as well as doing the work that we are doing with Red Dragon Arts and working with cultural organizations and helping them find their way um, in terms of operations and management and financial stability. So you
1: both mentioned growing up in the theater, but in different ways. So, Ray, for you, it was as a kid, and Miriam, it's your children. I'm curious, what impact did you think that environment had on you in the past, Ray? And what are you seeing with your kids, Miriam?
2: um well you know i i grew up around theater although i wasn't involved in it on the level that that ray was for, for sure but my father loved the performing arts and would make sure that we stuck around long after the curtain came down and um would take us backstage and we would help pack up you know instrument cases for musicians and that sort of thing and i think that just kind of translated for my children but one of the i think one of the benefits that my children received from that was exposure to a broad variety of individuals and creative experiences and perspectives that, um, that allowed them to have a more global view of, of people and their environment than perhaps they might've gotten, you know, by not being backstage.
3: Yeah, I, I would certainly say, uh, I was always an inquisitive child. Um, constantly taking things apart and trying to put them back together and being backstage, I saw that frequently and uh, where things, you know, materialized in a unique way, uh, you know, the quote unquote theater magic um, where things happen on a stage. uh, I always found that really fascinating and um, it allowed me to, to tinker. I've always, you know, grew up kind of wanting to be the center of attention and, being a little kid, I used to tell stand-up jokes, you know, uh, at family reunions and stuff, and everybody said, oh, he's going to be on, on stage someday, and sure enough, I was. Um, so it really allowed me to find a voice and a place um, with a wide variety of things that I could do and that I wanted to be involved with and had interest in, uh, and so I think that's really led me to where I am. I wonder
1: in, in your observations and what you think. How else do you think the theater and performing arts in particular helps people break through, whether they're on the stage performing behind the scenes or kids growing up? Like, what other ways does that really help people see what's possible and let go of limitation, limiting beliefs or um, even actions? Um, I think
2: there are a variety of ways, you know as I've never been a performer, but I, you know, I have many, many, many friends who are. And, and I think as a performer, you, you know, you put on a different persona, you learn to be in another person's shoes and you spend time researching and understanding who that character is and what motivates that character, you know? Um, And I think it just helps give you a different perspective. You have to, you know, that spending a day in someone else's shoes, is really valuable you know and i i've been able to relate that to real life for my children as they grew up you know we talk about you know if you're standing in the grocery store line and you're you know someone in front of you is fumbling around and it's delaying you well you know you you could be upset at them but you might also think through what are they going through in in that moment maybe they are you know, struggling with dexterity or, you know, and that's why they're fumbling, or maybe there's something else going on. And if you, you know, are the person to say hello to them and be kind to them, are you going to be the only person that does that that day, you know? Um, and so I think, I think in some ways, theater in in a way that, you know, helps you think about other people's perspective. Um, whether that be you're the actor that needs to learn and put on someone else's shoes, or you're someone in the audience, uh, you know, growing and understanding or an appreciation for a character um, really helps you relate to people in real life in a different kind of way, you know.
3: A lot of what Miriam said, I attribute to something that I often tell my students that theater people are professional observers, nothing gets by. It. You know, if you're an actor, as Miriam was pointing out, you know, you observe human nature and human quality and human mannerisms and um you absorb that and you're trained to absorb that. Uh and you recall that when you're a character on stage. As we are both lighting designers, I also work as a scenic designer and sound designer. Um you know, we look at how light interplays within a space. Scenically, I look at how architecture works and how the, you know, uh the world um that we live in and move through is put together. We see a lot of that in architecture as well. Architects will look at spaces like that. In sound design, I'm always listening to things, uh, it's consciously or otherwise. How does an environment impact the oral uh, interpretation of our world? Uh, so we observe things, I think, at a very heightened level and draw from those experiences in retelling of stories and transformation and being immersed in those other worlds and and other lives that Miriam is talking about being a different character.
1: That's interesting you say that because it makes me think of another question for y'all. And Ray, one of the things that you've said is that you get um, asked by people to help them create world-class experiences, but that always makes you laugh. So can you talk about why that is and how you approach
3: it differently? I come from the school of thought Um, and this goes all the way back to uh, my grandmother who was a vaudeville performer, Uh, always taught me that, you know, world-class theater can happen anywhere, And it doesn't need to be a big palatial theater with cushy seats and fancy ornamentation. World-class theater can happen on a street corner. It can happen in a church. It can happen in a storefront. It can happen in that big palatial theater. But you really need three things. You need a... um, a great story, a great storyteller, and someone to listen. And if you have those components, you really are doing world-class theater. Think about a time when you were hanging out with a relative or a friend, and they were telling you about this exciting time that they just had over the weekend, and how wrapped up you get into that story. That's no different than world-class theater. You really are enraptured. You get lost in it in the moment, and uh, you can envision it you can feel it, you're happy for them, you have emotions, you walk out of that conversation a changed person just for having. So that's world-class theater. But oftentimes people equate it with the fancy accoutrement of a, of a venue rather than what actually happens in the heartbeat of theater, which is the state.
1: How do you individually and collectively help folks make that shift so they what's possible for them in wherever they are on their journey of Organizational growth or implementation can embrace that um, understanding that environment doesn't isn't everything.
2: Environment isn't everything. You know, um, for organizations who are looking to you know improve their connectivities, it's all about relationships. It's about relationships with the people they serve, with the communities that they are in, um, and and theater and the performing arts and the arts in general are all about relationships and communication and communicating who we are and how we feel and how that relates to people around us or to the community around us, you know, and, and helping people, you know, realize their, their most authentic purpose, um, in, in how their organization serves the community is part of what we do, you know, um, being able to say what, what makes you unique? And how does that relate to the people around you? And how do, how do your operations and, and, you know, the management of your organization, how does all of that relate to allow you to most authentically connect with your community and the people that you serve? That's, that's what we are all about, I think, at Red Dragon, you know, um, being able to, to truly connect um, is something that, you know, we both have carried over from theater into the work that we do
3: yeah and I would add to that um, oftentimes people that are put into say leadership positions within arts organizations don't really have the fundamental background or or history in how to execute what Miriam is talking about. you know they they have the passion behind the art and they want to deliver the art and make those community connections. but there's also the realism of operating a business, which is essentially what you're doing. And so looking at uh, things like you know marketing and contract and you know how uh, material acquisition and staffing um, and the actual execution of a business plan all work together to help support that artistic endeavor. Uh, and that's oftentimes where you see a stumbling block. So um, part of our goal is to work with arts organizations to realign the operations and management with their artistic mission and vision so that they can be good Stewards within their community and that arts agency uh, to help make those connections that Miriam's referred.
1: So, when you've been able to do that, um, what changes? So, pretend I'm the CEO of an arts organization. I like to play pretend. Um, And I've been working with you guys, and it's six months, maybe a year and a half later, because I'm not expecting a 10 day turnaround from you. (laughs) Systems are slow. Um, But what experience or what change would me as a leader and my organization um, have after that kind of shifting, or my board?
2: I think you find a lot of efficiencies once you start addressing some of those things, those operational components that maybe um, distract a little bit from, you know, serving your community most effectively, and you've addressed them in a way that allows you to, Refine them, make them efficient. It allows you to really put your um, your focus on on your mission, your objectives, your programs, those sorts of things that really connect you to your community. Um, In my most recent role as um, COO for a large arts organization, that's what you know. That's part of what I do is finding a way to leverage resources um, to to mobilize those resources to you know, leverage opportunities so that you know, people don't have to go out and always be hunting down equipment and you know, people don't have to think about how do I write this contract? You know, there's, there's these efficiencies that if you can provide access and efficiency, then those organizations are then able to focus on doing more programs, connecting with more people, doing the things that really serve the community and and really engage their vision and mission in ways that they haven't been able to realize before.
3: And then also from a fiduciary side, if you look at uh, those inefficiencies that Miriam was referring to, you know, oftentimes it's so easy to say, oh, I need X, Y, Z supplies. I'm just going to run to this store and just grab them. That might not be the most cost effective way. There's a convenience factor to it. But is that really the best way to to acquire those materials or those supplies or those services? So when you look at, um, particularly in the nonprofit world where every dollar matters, you're looking at ticket sales, you're looking at contributory income, you're looking maybe at some investment income, and often you are stretching every dollar to try to reach that, that mission that you have. Any dollar that is wasted is a dollar not able to be used to serve your audience. And so by working with um, clients, the uh, the hope is, is what they get out of it is um, a true deep evaluation back to those efficiencies that Miriam is talking about to get back to what they want to do, which is focused on the art, but to streamline all of that so that uh, it becomes a known process. You take ambiguity out of it. Um, you know, there are, Are good communication lines so everybody knows what their expectations are. Oftentimes, we find, particularly a lot of the clients that I talk with, you find that the people that are doing certain tasks, those aren't right sized for what their roles are. But they they're wearing many hats. And maybe if you really think about what that role wants to be and who's the right person to be doing that role, you find greater efficiencies in it, and you find happier employees you find um you know better contribution into the workplace, you know, and th- and we all work a lot, you know, we've all put on shows, we've all had those 10 out of 12s and and things like that that um are exhausting and we get it. But if you can just take away a little bit of that extra thing, like where am I going to get this? Oh my God, I need to source that, you know, and have a process in place, I think it takes a lot of that stress and aggravation away and allows them to focus more. On their core mission.
2: Oftentimes the the those that we have worked with, they they feel like they're building the airplane as they're flying it. And and coming alongside (laughs) them (laughs) to help relieve some of that pressure, help them find those efficiencies and allow them to fly their plane better, you know, is is that's what we we enjoy doing. Yeah.
1: Well, and sometimes the thing that I've noticed is because people are so focused on quote unquote, the work, and they don't feel they have time to step back and just consider what are we actually doing? Is it like, how are our systems? One of the questions I think that coming in, like you guys do, you can say is, is that even necessary? You know, does that serve you anymore? You are not that two-year-old organization anymore. What else? You know, what else could, and then you can feel that relaxation. People go, oh, I just thought I had to. And you go, "Mm, you don't have to. It's a
3: choice. Yeah, theater is an industry of of habit or an industry of tradition, right? And sometimes that tradition doesn't work anymore, particularly when you look at where an arts organization maybe wants to be or the type of work that they want to do. You know, just because you've been doing something some way doesn't mean that it's the best way to be doing it. So, how do we deal with change management? How do we deal with Uh, better communication, better objective. I mean, these are the the strategies that we want to work with our clients on deploying so that, again, they can get back to what they would rather be doing, which is focusing on the artistic endeavor. Which brings me to a question for you,
1: Miriam, spurred by something you said, Ray. And that is, when you think about the front-facing people, in arts performing arts in particular you those who we will see in a production including the people the lighting the stage all of the magic of that production and then think about the board of directors and the professional quote-unquote management right the ceo cfo ceo Um, and in small organizations it could be one person right Mm -hmm. Um, but when we think about that Is there that layer where it's like, here's the front facing doers and here's the management and do they sync up or do you find that you have to create some alignment between the two and understanding? I'm kind of thinking about your whole empathy thing Mm -hmm. so that the business doesn't come in outside and just kind of deplete the heart.
2: Yeah. Um, Oftentimes you do have to find some alignment between those two or you have to align those two a little bit better. Um, And it depends sometimes on the size of the organization and how many hats Um, someone, you know, uh, who works in the organization is wearing, you know, sometimes if you are, uh, you know, the single individual in an organization, and you are, you know, the director and the designer and the person that books the venue and all of these other things, and you're working with the board of directors. Um, you know, sometimes the alignment in in terms of what you hats you wear maybe not as necessary because perhaps the board knows, but that also leaves you stretched, you know, really thin. And so, um, you know, so one of the things that we talk about is, you know, how how can we make that more efficient? How can we take some of those things off of, you know, that single person's plate? How can we rearrange things a little bit? But it is, it can be challenging if you have, you know, a larger organization and You know, perhaps the management structure isn't really aligned or isn't necessarily aware of, you know, all of the work that's going on under underneath the hood. Um, Sometimes there is misunderstanding about the amount of time that it takes or the amount of space or equipment that it requires. And so making sure that um, that new or better communication strategies are put in place to connect those two groups of team members, because they really are just two teams working towards the same goal. Um, it Really provides a lot of um, efficiency for the organization, and oftentimes they are able to identify new programs and new opportunities when they start really talking and communicating about how those things align.
1: Lots yeah, of I would, add,
3: I would add to that. Um, you know, a, a lot of our say higher ed clients, you know, are often a department of one, and the administration in that you know higher institution of higher learning. You know, they don't understand the art. You know, they show up to the shows, they see the performers, they see the scenery, but they don't know how that sausage is made. And so when it comes to budgetary constraints or staffing requests or other operational uh, challenges, they have no frame of reference because they're in a way, they're outsiders looking in. So it's how do you invite them behind the curtain and get them to experience and explore? Uh, the way that this world works. A lot of that is through data. You can do that effectively by really drilling down into the metric. Uh, Some of that is more hands-on exploratory things where maybe you have them come do a light hang and focus or help load in scenery or sit through a tech rehearsal to really start to garner what that experience is truly like so that uh, you can foster that deeper, better communication Oftentimes, in a board circumstance, you might see uh, business folks uh, lawyers you know bankers, things like that CEOs that um, have an affinity for the arts and they like to be associated with the arts, but they really don't have any other investment in the art, particularly in how that business works and if they understand it as a business, then I think they have a greater understanding of what it takes to actually get that done, just like they would be running their own company.
1: Yeah, I think that's a super important thing for folks in general, when they think about nonprofits to keep in mind that at the end of the day, they are businesses. Um, they are a very large sector of employers across our nation in different you know, arts, human ser- different types of nonprofits. And they fill a role That the government does not fill cannot fill. I mean, because it's that community linkage bridge piece and that trusted piece. So, I think the um, board of directors, the governing body, are super important because they hold the community trust. But there's also the need to embrace the heart of the organization and be able to balance all of that together. So, um, so this is a good place for me to ask a question, Ray, when you were talking about. Uh, connecting the leadership with the folks in the field, and even behind—not even, but behind the scenes—in different roles. Would you please share the story of the panther and the person who um, showed up in a different role to
3: save a, sure. a project? Um, I, I was working on a on an overseas project, uh, a large performing arts center, and uh, in a tropical climate, um, and we were going from. What wasn't uh an indoor performing arts venue that was going to be torn down, um, and they wanted an outdoor amphitheater, which we thought was going to be great, beautiful, overlooking the tropical jungle and everything else and and good ideas can come from anywhere and as we're sitting there having the discussion about you know the backdrop of this beautiful, lush, dense greenery, uh, one of the porters who um, was just Somebody that would come in, they'd get everybody coffee they'd you know bring in um they brought in all of our our stuff said, well, what about the jaguar and we all stopped and went, what uh the jaguar when the lights go out, you know there's jaguar in the forest, they're going to come in and attack people in the audience. Well, nobody had ever considered this mm-hmm. right because we're thinking we're just looking at the lush greenery, but sometimes um Good ideas can really come from anywhere. And sometimes the the people that you least expect to have the best ideas are often people that get cast aside. Yeah. And so really having a 360 degree conversation with all the stakeholders, not just the board of directors and the leadership, but everybody from the front of house staff, the janitorial staff, the box office, the ushers, you know, all the way down to the carpenters and stage painters and electricians. Um, The volunteers, because so many nonprofit organizations are volunteer-driven, having those kinds of conversations uh, and stakeholder investment really can bring about change that is so positive for the organization because they see it in a different way. Oftentimes, we refer to this as design thinking, where you're bringing in outside voices that are not necessarily considered aligned with what the problem is but they bring different solutions to it from their own unique perspective that often allow you to consider a direction that you wouldn't have otherwise considered because you can get some blinders on and very focused because you have a certain level of expertise. But that outside person looking in says, well, you're not thinking about this, this, and this. Otherwise we would have had Jaguars come running in and taking out half the front row of the audience really? in a black. Really not good for testimonials. No, no, not at all. It was all. a beautiful facility, but it didn't have a good first opening right. night. And so we wound up putting a giant glass wall around the facility so you could still see the the lush greenery, um, but you wouldn't have that problem. But otherwise, we wouldn't have known if if somebody hadn't spoken up. And I think that's also a very valid point there is that you have to allow the opportunities for those oftentimes minimized voices to have agency within the conversation because they do have great ideas. And, you know, how do you foster that? Oftentimes when we work with clients, uh, we will talk to the various stakeholders and we know that there's going to be a lot of commonality around one tranche of things. Everybody agrees on it. We acknowledge that and we can park it over to the side. Then there's going to be those sort of one-off, you know, where some people have these like great or crazy ideas and you again, you acknowledge it, but kind of perk it off to the side. And where you really want to focus your efforts on the things where, you know, it's almost uh, a variety of different ideas and objectives, and those, that's where the work really needs to happen. Because you have the things everybody agrees on, and you have these sort of one-offs, but let's get down to the meat of it and figure out a way to get consensus around those ideas, ownership around those ideas, and manage the change and effectiveness of those ideas. So that you get buy-in from every stakeholder, and that's how you're going to wind up being successful in that. And if you can incorporate some of those one-offs, great. Uh, otherwise, you can acknowledge them and say, "Well, may, you know, we'll keep that in mind," but uh, that doesn't really fit with the direction that somebody's going to go. You know, so those are a lot of the the takeaways from a lot. I, I love to have voices from everywhere because I think it enriches the conversation. And we often talk about you know, inclusion and diversity and equity and access, particularly around the art, Uh, this idea of idea, right, Uh, which I know Miriam has quite a lot of experience in, um, really is very beneficial to these kinds of conversations. I don't know if you want to add any. I would actually ask you to add, Miriam, because I know that you've
1: got experience there. So as you were talking, I'm thinking, oh, come on, Miriam
2: inclusion equity diversity and access you know is is a passion point of mine and you know and it's something that you know we think about in in the arts in a variety of ways and in performing arts and and it's much broader than just having um you know diverse individuals on your performance stage or diverse artists presenting something but it's it's much broader than that it's it's a shift in it's a shift in thinking it's a shift in conversation it's a shift in how you approach people, how you understand people, how you take the time to pause and think about, is this my own personal bias that is coloring the way I'm thinking about this particular moment? Um, and, And I think it's just, it's something valuable that I just, I carry in the forefront of my mind at all times, you know, making sure that, you know when i'm you know maybe on a zoom call with a, a client you know i look for the person who hasn't really spoken up in the meeting and i i ask them what they think i want to hear um because usually those are the individuals that have the most interesting perspective they see something in a way that no one else has and so making sure that everybody has a voice and and taking the time to listen and truly try to understand their perspective where they come from, the shoes that they've been in, you know, um, I think really adds to allow, to allowing change and growth to happen in a way that is is beneficial for all. What I wanted to ask as a
1: follow-up to that is because you've done a lot of work in community on some big projects, right? Mm-hmm. And this is to both of you, but I'm reflecting on something you shared in our chat in the back time, the previous time. And that is like, the importance of history to, and place in the arts, and specifically in communities. And I was thinking about that and wondering like the trend across our nation are are we losing some of those? Are they growing? What's happening in place and community?
2: Well, I, you know I, my personal philosophy it has to do with you know making sure that we know where we've come from, so that we know where we're going. Um, because if you don't know where you've been, how can you plot out a path for the future? Um, and, you know, the organization I most recently worked with um, has a, a fairly large performing arts venue um, that is unique um, nationally and, um, and undergoing renovation. Um, but it is, you know, it, it has this unique story. Uh, behind it, it had unique characters that were involved in the creation of it. It, um, you know, it it was built in a location in the community that used to service um, a canal system that used to be part connected to the Trail of Tears. In uh, initially, you know, it has all of this this rich history. Um, but it serves, interestingly enough, as a community center. It is a place where community is built. You know, even though it's disguised as a theater. Um, it is a place where community is built. And, you know, um, one woman told me once that that venue is the place where she made all of her friends when she moved to that community. Um, and so that that piece of history, you don't want to lose those people's stories. You know, what came before it? What, what is it now? And then understanding how those pieces can help inform what the venue becomes in the future. All of that is so connected to who is this community and why is this place important? Um, and I think that sense of community that the build, that the building the venue allows and the things that happen in it that allow those uh, that community building to happen are just so important um, you know and and so important to not only do but also important to document and retain because when you're able to say, you know this is where I made friends and this is where I met you know, um, my partner and this is, you know, where, you know, a friend of mine got married. It's that type of community. It's a community center. And I think in the many, many communities, these types of venues are that people just maybe haven't always thought of them in that way. And I think that's really interesting. So figuring out a way to retain that history, um, and document it is important to me because of that. I'll, I'll
3: put on my, um, my professor had talked a little bit about theater history. If you go back to Jacobean and Elizabethan history uh, of the theater, you know, we often think of Shakespeare, you know, and Marlowe and, and um, you know, folks like that, you know, the Rose Theater, the Globe. I mean, you, the, the Groundlings was that community gathering space. And you would go there in the morning and you'd bring picnics and people would gamble and drink and laugh and play. And Yeah, there was a play going on on stage and maybe they'd throw uh, food at it every now and then, or they didn't like the play or comment was made, but things happened. That was where you wanted to be, and uh, to be seen, you know, and um, and see others. Uh, the royalty would be up high, the the wealthy would be up high within the um, you know the echelons of the, these venues, but the common folks would just gather around, and it was the the pinnacle of society where they came to be entertained, educated meet with their family, meet with their friends. And that goes all the way back to Roman and Greek. If you look at uh, that form of entertainment, if you want to call it entertainment, again, it was all day long. They were gathering places. The festival of Dionysus was days upon days upon days of um, eating and drinking and and theater and oratory and things like that. Um, We just now have different medium in which we can engage that way, right? We have cell phones and TVs and things like that. But look what just happened. We had a pandemic where what shut down? The arts. They were the first to shut down and the last to come back. And the the need and desire for human connection. It was a major driver uh, for a lot of rebirth and rethinking of these arts organizations and, and reagency of when we come back. Not well, we're all going to go away, but when we come back, we need to come back more resilient and stronger and have better community connection. And that's the path that we're seeing going forward.
1: Yeah. And I can't remember. I just remember how happy my heart felt when I realized there was, you could go somewhere again, like, and be with people and be entertained and that all of the vibe that goes on with it. I just thought, oh my God, okay, now we're getting somewhere, right? Right.
3: Yeah, theater. They say theater has been dying for 3000 years and, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not going it's to a anywhere, slow, so. slow death. <laughs> Yeah, I just, you know, with with George Floyd and and the Me Too movement and a whole bunch of other uh, things that have happened, plus the pandemic, it's really been um, a real catalyst for uh, change. And that's where a lot of, you know, we feel we have a lot to offer from the Red Dragon Arts side, is understanding how organizations work, how they can be better, and how they can change to improve. So again, they can get back to focusing on that mission and that social justice and that that interaction that they want to have because theater communicates not just stories, but they change lives. You know if- that, and I I see that
1: one of the gifts that you guys have is I'm listening to you talk about that and the depth of your knowledge and personal experiences of just pretending I'm on an arts board. I'm not, but um, and just thinking I would feel so relieved to have some guidance. I would feel really happy that my CEO wasn't feeling so under the gun and on their own. Having been an executive director, I got that whole view. Um, So I, I think that's great. And I wanted to ask you to talk just a bit more about Red Dragon Arts. So when you formed it and you think about your own vision and mission, where, What impact do you hope to have within the next five or 10 years because you're bringing that specific, unique, combined knowledge that you have?
2: You know, um, being able to help organizations feel reinvigorated and, um, and connected to their mission and their vision in ways that they haven't because perhaps their operations have been just a little off off skew and need to be realigned um, is 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 important for me. Um, you know, I think about my own experiences as you know the COO of a large arts organization who built the airplane while we were flying it. And, um, you know, identifying where um, the inefficiencies were that um were inhibiting us from thinking bigger and more boldly and connecting more people um that is the hope that i have for all of these arts organizations we've worked with small ones we've worked with large ones you know and um and every time um we've seen change related to how, what they are able to do now that they don't have to you know build the plane while they're flying it <laughs> and um and so for me watching watching them become more engaged in their communities watching them um, be that that light in the center of their community um, is is important, and I think that we are going to see more of that as people are looking for more human connection. Um, you know, I, I I don't know what else I can say. That's, well, I, that's my yeah. <laughs>
3: I mean to add to that, you know, if you take all of that in the direction, what we did is when we looked around because you know we've worked with enough clients, you know, um, in our respective uh, histories. Uh, large and small, there are organizations, there are companies out there that will do a comprehensive market study and comprehensive master plan, business plan for you. And, it, and they hand it off to you and say, good luck. Here Go figure it out. It's kind of like somebody handing you a whole bunch of car parts and say, okay, go ahead and build your Ferrari. See you later, enjoy driving it. You know, Our goal is to dig down into the weeds with you, to take that business plan you know, or help you formulate the, what that business plan means for you, as well as take a deep dive into contracts that you have, or ones that you don't have but probably should, or ones that you have that maybe you don't really need, and and really get into the weeds and make sure that you are aligned with that. Because again, you have this sort of vacuum of here's a here's a high level fifty thousand foot view of where we think you should go and here's reality, and where things fall apart is right there in the middle, because there isn't the uh, bandwidth or the experience to really drive that high-level plan into something that's actionable, and what we're saying is we're here to help you drive that into an actionable plan and get into the weeds with you on that, and then we hope within five or ten years that we see the success of that, you know, where you are uh, really driving fiduciary responsibility, efficiencies, and artistic expansion and growth in ways that you couldn't do otherwise, because you were mired in all of that gap of the business. And, you know, and we want you to be able to focus on the stuff that you really feel agency over and is important to your, your mission.
2: We both love getting our hands dirty, digging down into the details of everything. Um, helping people um, clarify all of the details and the tasks and the structure that they need, um, and and helping them start that work. You know, it's not always the prettiest work. It's definitely not always sexy, um, but it's so so important because once you've addressed that, then you can focus on those things that really um, change communities and lives. And so, um, so we're thrilled to get get our hands dirty and build things and, and, and do all of that hard work um, because I think it benefits so many people and so many lives.
1: Couldn't agree more. Now, you guys have a great offer. I'm just envisioning again, now I'm the CEO again of this organization, um, and I've just listened to this podcast, and I've got questions, but you guys have a free offer, and I'm wondering if you could share that with our listeners, so they understand what's available to them for you,:
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean we what our goal ultimately is is to be a long-term valued, trusted partner with the organizations that we work. With. Uh, we want to work with uh, organizations that we feel we can provide the most value to and um, and that are really looking for the type of assistance that we can provide. So what we're offering is that we'll meet with you for an hour at no charge uh, to really understand what your challenges are uh, and the direction that you want to go to see if the, you know how we can be most beneficial to you and what um, your ultimate goals are. We can help maybe set you on a path for discovering that if maybe if you don't know, because that's often a challenge that we see is people say, I know I need help. I just don't know when what. And so, uh, you know, we're we're offering up to meet and talk with people uh, to really help identify that and form a roadmap. And then if you want to continue on and work with us uh, to really, you know, flush that out and get down, you know, as we were saying before, get down into the weeds, uh, you know, happy to talk further. But, you know, we're willing to uh, sit down with you for, for an hour and really kind of go through, you know, some of the higher level nuts and bolts of what you want to do.
1: And listeners, I will say, as someone who had that exact same question in my mind, when I first used a consultant from the nonprofit, when I was leading a nonprofit, that was what I said, my comment was, I need something. I don't know what it is. I've been racking my head. You're supposed to know. So can we talk? And when I finished that conversation, I took a breath. And then set about figuring out how to get these guys hired to help us. And it, But just being able to say to someone without being worried, I don't know what the right question is. Because if I knew it, I would start answering it myself. right? So I think take advantage of this consultation that Miriam and Ray are offering. Because um, it's great to have someone listen to you and reflect back to you about, okay, it sounds like this is what you're needing. So please don't be shy about getting that from them. What's the best way for them to get that?
3: Uh, well, you can reach out to us through our website, um, www.reddragonarts.com um, uh, or email us at uh, Raymond at or Miriam at and we're happy for info at reddragonarts.com yep. um, and we're happy to, uh, to circle back with you. Uh, I, I will give you an example of that. Uh, we, we recently had a discussion, uh, one of those one-hour consultations with a, um, a city that owns an arts facility, and they're struggling. It's a very old arts facility. It's on the historic registry. Um, they've had some leadership challenges on the production side, but they also have some new leadership that's come in, and they are decided that they needed to really write a business plan because they didn't have one they've never written a business so they're kind of flying the plane blind here and they said we need we need help you know we think we're doing this right but we know how we want to be able to serve our community so we you know we've met with them um for you know a good solid hour and now we're going to have some follow-up conversations with them uh, early next week to really start to drill down into what that means and they are incredibly grateful for just any direction, because they, I think they feel like we've given them a lifeline to help them move forward because it's a city. They're not in the business of running an arts organization. (laughs) They're in the business of running a city, but they have this asset in their town that is right on the town square and a community uh, asset and a a place of gathering for so many in the community that goes back over a hundred years. Wow. And so, uh, how do they keep this thing going for the next fifty to a hundred years? Uh, and so they're they're really grateful for the the opportunity to engage with us, and and hopefully we can um, point them in a better direction so that they have some viability and some sustainability.
1: Well, that's a great example, Ray. So thanks for sharing that. And as we're wrapping up, I want to give the final word to both of you. If there's a piece of advice or wisdom that you have learned over your professional careers that you want to leave with people who might be in the shoes you were in not all that long ago.
2: Oh, boy. <laughs> um, you know, for me, it's all about um, keeping an open mind and and working on having the right people on your team, right? Um, I I think I've said this to you before, and I certainly say it to my children all the time. And I don't remember where I got this quote, but, you know, you are the average sum of the five people that you surround yourself with the most, right? Making sure that you have a great team who is engaged and energetic and who brings creative ideas and, you know, who you allow to have voices at the table um, can really bring about a lot of change um, for you, for your organization you know, um, just having an open mind to different perspectives and a different way of doing things and allowing people at your table who bring those things is just so important um, for me personally and professionally. And so that would be the one piece of advice I think I would give anyone.
3: I I couldn't agree more. Having uh, the right partner, you know, in the process uh, really can be the the pinnacle of success for any one of these endeavors. I often look at as well, you know, um, the arts has a variety of different personality types, some very strong, some, uh, you know, some otherwise, you know, oftentimes when in not just the arts, but in business in general, when you have some uh, folks that maybe are part of your organization that, you know, might be a little bit disgruntled, you know, or, you uh, maybe don't have the best outlook or attitude, oftentimes it's because they don't feel like they're being heard and or have ownership and they feel like that things are being thrust upon them. And that goes back to really good quality, openness, transparency, and communication. And so working through that, and again, I, I brought this up earlier, giving voice to those that don't otherwise have voice or feel like they have a voice I have seen some of the most angry, bitter employees do a complete 180 when all of a sudden you give them that voice and they become your best employees and your strongest employees for growth and change within the organization because they finally feel like they've made that contribution to moving the ball forward and helping uh, make that place their own and part of it. And so leaders often forget that their job isn't to be the head of the pack; it's to help support your team. And if you can support your team to be the best that they can be, then great things happen for your organization and yourself as a leader. And so that would be the the point of wisdom that I would say: is don't don't discount these these marginalized voices, you know. And if you see people who maybe are are being a little bit sour or disgruntled, find out why. Don't just dismiss them and say, oh, we need to get rid of them. You know, there's probably a good reason. And maybe you're not listening as well as you should.
1: Oh, That's a good one. Sometimes we're not listening. Ray and Miriam, I really want to thank you for being guests on the No Labels, No Limits podcast this week. I know our listeners have taken a lot of value out of it. And I have my own set of nuggets that I've been noting. So, again, thank you. Um, I would like if you guys would come back in maybe a year and tell us what's happening latest and greatest in all of your endeavors, because we, we benefit from the arts, the performing arts, all the arts.
2: We would love that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Thank you for having
1: us. Yep. My, oh, it's really my pleasure.